Uh, great to see you all. Uh, like we've talked about, we're going to start a new sermon series this morning. We're in the book of Acts. Um, I know you're all super excited about it and you're trying to hide it, but um, I'm going to say it one more time and then you can be excited. We're going to start a new sermon series this morning. Oh, yes. I feel slightly like that was slightly sarcastic, but I, I, I'm excited about it, even if you're not. Um, and if you remember, before Christmas, we had our Christmas series, didn't we, for five weeks. Before that, we were in the uh, Gospel of Luke. We kind of did a whistle-stop tour through that, some of the uh, major points. Uh, we kind of tried to cram it in before Christmas, and it was great to do that. But like I mentioned back then, Luke is actually responsible for 33% of our New Testament. A non-Jew responsible for 33% of the New Testament talking about the Jewish Messiah and what that means for the world. Uh, it's a pretty incredible fact. He, he was a doctor. And we're into the second book now. And the first book is obviously about Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. But then this book, this second um, writing, is all about the church, the early church, and we, this is all about the birth, the rise, and the birth and the rise of the church. We're going to be doing the first 12 chapters over the coming months uh, together. And I want to begin this book with a little bit of healthy competition, okay? So what I'm going to do, everybody's got a Bible in their hands, just wave for me. Just wave. Oh, that's good. That's good. Uh, if you want to grab one quick to be part of this competition, you can grab one from the back. Or if you have them on your phone... I don't know. It might be an advantage for you. So get your Bibles open real quick. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of a hand. Go to the book of Acts. And I'm going to ask you to find me two words in the book of Acts. And the first person to find those words, stand up and shout them out, wins the competition, okay? Um, so a little bit of healthy competition. Don't get crazy and kind of throw your neighbor's Bible away or something to win. It's not that big a prize. Um, but the first person to shout out these two words, okay, is everybody ready? Primed, ready? The book of Acts? Okay, I want the first person to shout out the last two words of the book of Acts. The last two words of the book of Acts. Stand up and shout it out as soon as you get there. Yes, Jenny, give her a round of applause. You get a prize. Sorry, it's a mini Mars, don't eat it all at once. Uh, who else got there? Did anybody else get there but not shout it out? Oh, Liz, I kind of believe you. You can have a mini Mars too. <laughs> Anybody else? Oh, well done. I can see a hand at the back there. I can't. Okay, I'm gonna, I'll give it to you afterwards, all right, rather than taking someone's eye out. Okay. Without hindrance were the last two words, the last two words of the book of Acts. That's how it finishes. Without hindrance. And that really is the central theme of this story as it plays out in this book. Um, it's a historical event, a historical account, sorry, of the birth, the rise, and the spread of the church. Now, that's not to say that the early church didn't meet a lot, of, a lot of opposition. It absolutely does. Trust me, it does, and we're going to get into that. Actually, it describes the opposition of the world and of the authorities around them being so ferocious, so deadly, that actually other organizations would have folded in an instant. And what it means, though, the words without hindrance, is simply that nothing, absolutely nothing, no force of man or darkness could have stopped the church from fulfilling its divine purpose. And, and that's what we're going to discover in the coming weeks and the coming months together. We're going to unpack that. 
as we go, and I'm excited, I know I know, I kind of, you know, some of you were kind of sarcastic at the beginning, but I am really excited about what this is going to do for us as a church. I'm excited that that same power that we're reading about in the book of Acts, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the, the, the same power given to the early church and as it was born and spread throughout the known world, that same spirit The same God is here with us this morning. 2,000 years later, 2,000 miles away from where we're talking about, his spirit is still at work in his church. So that's what we're going to be looking at in the coming months. And I'd encourage you to join me at home in your your week. Read through it yourself. You know, allow God to speak to you. Read through the book and let's do it together. And we want to allow God to challenge us with his words, with his stories. So let's just pray real quick. And then we're going to get into Acts chapter 1. Father, we just thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord, uh, that you've already been speaking. You've already been working. But Lord, I know there are so many people in this room right now, sat in their seats, that by the power of your spirit, you want to speak to this morning through your word. And Lord, so I pray that we would have open hearts to you. I thank you that your uh, spirit is still alive and working today. Among, among us, Lord, and Lord, would we just be open to you? In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said? Amen. Okay, so Acts 1, 1 to 14. It says, in my former book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them for, and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you going going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Oh, sorry, sorry, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up at the sky and as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go, go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they, they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and, the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Okay, so this is quite a densely packed, incredible piece of scripture. And so much happens, right, in these 14 verses, including the ascension of Jesus, which we could talk about the promises that he gives to the disciples, the appearing of angels, all that sort of stuff. We could kind of pack a lot into that. 
But what I want to do this morning, and what we always try and do, is when we approach a chunk of Scripture, is to, to say, okay, God, what do you want to speak to us as a church through this this morning? And I think there's a particular verse we're going to land on, but what I wanted to do was just kind of make a couple of quick observations on our way there. This book, obviously, is a continuation of Luke's work, like we said, but the, and the first part is Luke's gospel, and now he is continuing to write the story of what Jesus is doing. And, and in particular, he is writing to Theopolis. Now, we don't really know who this guy is. He's probably a most likely a wealthy guy who's commissioned Luke to go out. He's maybe heard stories about Jesus and sent him out uh, to find out if they're true. And Luke's done that in the Gospel of Luke, but now he moves on to the story of the early church. And I, and I love the line in verse 3. He says, after his suffering, Jesus presents himself to them and gives them many convincing proofs that he was alive. And what does Jesus do? He appears to them many times. We see not just that, he talks to them. Now, remembering, I want us to remember something here. The Bible is like no other book. First of all, it's a, it's, it's a living book. It's, it's the living word of God. So it's like no other book. But also, if the Bible gives you a piece of information, when you're reading your Bible, if it gives you a piece of information about someone or something that happened, it's for a reason. It needs you to know something. It's telling you that for a reason. And we get so used to modern literature, um, which, you know, we, we can read now, and, and they just describe everything, like, to the max, modern literature. So, for an example, you know, we, we would read it, say, Karen, with her long, curly hair, was wearing her big jumper that her favorite one bought from a charity shop. With her freshly painted nails and a favorite shade of yellow, she picked up her lemon and gin ginger tea that was just the right temperature for a cold, dark winter's night, right? And it paints this entire... I just wrote that, by the way. I, I think I have a gift. Um, oh, please, that feels too much. No, keep going. Um, but, you know, it, that's what modern literature is like, isn't it? I'm finished with that, by the way. You can take that off if you like um, on the slides. But, but that's what modern literature is like. It gives you every aspect. It paints a massive picture for you um, in terms of what, what, what it's like, what's going on, what time of year it is, what the weather's like. The Bible doesn't do that. It gives you the information that you need to know. So he says he gave them many convincing proofs. And Luke writes, he writes in that, in, 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 in the scripture, he says, one, he says, he appears to them. He appears to them. I don't know if, about you, but dead people tend not to show up to stuff. And Jesus is showing up to stuff. The next thing he says is that um, Jesus speaks with them. Now, dead people don't talk. They can do some weird things. You know, ask anybody who works with dead bodies and mortuaries or whatever, but they don't talk. The last thing he says is, which has no, nothing to do with the story, actually, but he just puts it in there just to let you know. And Jesus was eating with them. Once while Jesus was eating with them, dead people don't eat. <laughs> and Luke is explaining, remembering he's a doctor, he's explaining his letters, you know, he's been there, he's investigated, he's spoken to those eyewitnesses that, that, that he mentions in his writing. And it's important to remember that Jesus spends 40 days counseling, uh, <laughs> consoling them. Uh, we can so easily forget that these disciples were human, just like you and me. 
And, and they'd been through an ordeal of their own. And we can forget that. What happened was such an incredible amount for them to compute or to deal with. They had, had so many emotions that they'd wrestled with in those last few weeks, so much that they wouldn't have understood at the time. Think about what they'd been through. In the lead up to Jesus' crucifixion, the disciples abandoned Jesus. I mean, that's just emotional stuff to go through in itself. And yet here is Jesus forgiving you. That's enough to go through. They watched in horror as their Messiah, the one who they pinned all of their hopes on, was arrested and beaten and crucified and died and was buried. And they watched all of that. And yet here is Jesus spending time with them, consoling them. And it's also quite common at the time for, for people to believe in their culture, to believe in ghosts. Now, we can laugh about that. I mean, there's a whole rabbit hole that I'm not going to go down in terms of ghosts today. But, but they believed ghosts were quite common for them to believe in the time. Anybody who's quite familiar with the disciples' time, with, with Jesus, think about the time when Jesus walks on water to the boat and the disciples are in the boat and what do they shout? They don't shout, oh, wow, Jesus is walking on water. They shout, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. Like they genuinely believe and are scared of ghosts. So Jesus had to show, hey, I'm back. This isn't a just a spiritual resurrection. It's a physical one too. And here I am. I'm eating. I'm talking. I'm, you know, you can physically touch me. And some of them choose to try and make sure that he's absolutely still there and that he's physical. So Jesus has to show his resurrection was real and help the disciples to process what has just happened helping them to understand and explain to them the prophecies of the Old Testament, how he had to die, how, why it needed to happen. But it wasn't just a spiritual resurrection. It was a complete physical one too. He was spirit physically there. He spoke, he ate, and they were able to physically touch him. And seeing all of that, it, when you read the, the gospel account of Luke, what Luke is saying here in verse 1, is that Jesus picks up right where he left off. Like he didn't skip a beat. He, was, he lived out his life, his death, his, and then his resurrection, and now he's straight back into action of bringing the kingdom of, kingdom of heaven to earth. He picked up right where he left off. Now Jesus leaves in scene 1 here, right? Like he ascends to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. But he makes some promises before he goes. He says he will send his Holy Spirit and the work of God will continue. The work of God will continue. So verse 8 is kind of what we're going to hone in on here. It says, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God, in the form of man, is about to ascend, but God, in the form of the Spirit, is about to descend. And he's trying to get them ready for it. And he gives them instructions of what to do when that happens. And the book of Acts, everything that Luke is about to write about from here on out that we're going to go through, is about what happens when the Spirit of God fills the disciples of Jesus. You could almost call this book the Acts of the Holy Spirit, you know. What happens when the Holy Spirit comes and moves in power? 
They were to wait in Jerusalem to be filled with the Spirit, and then they're called to be witnesses of Jesus. Now, the word witnesses in the Greek is, is uh, martis, and it's where we get the word martyr from. <laughs> um, some of you joke about being martyrs to things, but that's where we get the true word martyr from, from the word martis, to be a witness for Jesus. And, and martis in the Greek is referring to somebody who would, who would testify in court what they had witnessed. I don't know if anybody has ever been a witness in court, but it's quite heavy duty on you, isn't it, to be a witness in court? It had to be someone that was absolutely sure of what they had seen, what they had experienced, what they had witnessed, and they could, and they could tell other people about it. They had to have that level of certainty to it. They would happily stand in court under oath to God and share what they had seen and heard. And Jesus had no doubt at this point that the disciples, after spending 40 days with them, they understood what they had witnessed. And now he was calling them to go and share, to go and share that with the world. And Luke would show in the book of Acts that, that, in book of Acts that, that is exactly what happens that is exactly what happens. In, 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 uh, we see them being witnesses in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 1 to 7. In Judea and Samaria, Acts chapter 8 to 12. And then the remotest parts of the earth, Acts 13 to 28. That's exactly what would happen. But one thing is for sure, as the disciples would go on to experience, is that when the Spirit of God moves in, the church moves out. Let me say this, when the Spirit of God moves into our church, we will move out. We will reach out. We will go. We're called to go. Now, for some people, that's going to be Jerusalem, exactly where you live. And we're going to get to that in just a second. But for some people right now, I'm just going to pause for my notes for a second. For some people right now, you need to hear that God is calling you to go. And maybe that's Bishop Auckland. God bless you. <laughs> and maybe, ah, that's a joke. Don't hit me afterwards. Maybe that's France. Yeah. Bonjour. Uh, maybe that's Papua New Guinea. Cambodia. Canada. But what we know for sure is if you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, you are called to be a witness for him. To be a witness. To share what you have seen, what you have heard about Jesus. To share the good news. And I, no doubt this morning, if I asked some of you to come on stage, all of you who would call yourself a follower of Jesus, you would have a story to share about what you have witnessed Jesus do in your life. Am I right? Let me get some nods. See your expression. So nod if that's you. Um, but you would have stories to share. You might even have a story to share from this morning because Jesus is so good. Stories about his goodness, his provision, his strength, his working within you, his mercies that are new every day. But here's the thing, we're called to be witnesses. We're called to tell others about him, those who don't yet know him, about what he's accomplished, what he did in his life here on earth. 
but also what that means for you and everybody else. There is complete forgiveness for the whole world. And this is what we're supposed to be witnesses to. We're called to do that. And who are you called to share with? Well, you're called to share with everybody. You're called to share with people in Jerusalem. That's our Darlington, right? We're called to share in Judea and Samaria. That's further afield. Maybe a similar culture, but, but further afield. And we're called to share to the ends of the earth. And individually, that might mean that you need to share with the people you share a flat with that don't yet know Jesus. It might mean that you need to share with people who live on your street or that you work with. When you go into work tomorrow, is there somebody that you interact with every week that doesn't know about the good news of Jesus? You're called to be a witness to them. Like I said, for some of you, it's even further afield than that. You're called to plant churches. You're called to be missionaries out in the field. You're called to, called to go to remote parts of the earth to share the good news. It's not me who's going to push that. The Holy Spirit will do it if he's doing it. But the thing is, is that I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are sat there thinking, I'm, Mike, I, I, I get that biblical principle, but I just wouldn't call myself an evangelist. I'm not an evangelist. Let me tell you, evangelism is not my, is not my gift in either. I'm not asking you to be an evangelist, and not was Je nor was Jesus. And I know what you're saying. Like some people, man, when they introduce the gospel to people, they have just this gift, and they seem to just be able to convince people to like, you know, come and give their life to Jesus, give the khakis, you know, to, some, to the poor, you know, all that type of thing. They seem to have this gift of that. I don't have that gift, but Jesus is asking me to be his witness. So what does that look like? Well, to be a witness, you share your story. You share what you saw, you share what happened, and you share how that affected you and others around you. And that's all Jesus is asking of you. Share your story with your friends. You know, Jesus, third of his teachings, stories. Have you ever thought about that? You know, like people would come and ask him a genuine question and then stand there confused as Jesus told them a story about something. And that's because stories have this incredible way of getting past our defenses. You know, you might know the most stubborn, you know, atheist ever might work in your office or might be your mother or might be your friend, you know. And actually, they have all of these walls up. And as soon as you approach the subject of Jesus or God, all these walls go up and all these arguments come out. And you think, I don't, I don't feel equipped to kind of meet them on their arguments. He's not asking you to argue with them or to prove them wrong. Just share your story. Be a witness for him in what we say and what we do. And stories have this way of slipping past people's defenses, their upbringing, their education, which is so often a block for people. And you can't argue with a story. It's just a story. It's a story of how Jesus has changed my life. And I could bring up story after story after story in here of how Jesus has changed your life, couldn't I? And he's asking that you be a witness for him to share what he has done. So just tell your story. I'm talking to myself here. Tell your story of how Jesus has changed your life, how he heals you, how he has forgiven you, how there is freedom in his name. 
But as a church, we just, we're not called just to focus on Darlington, are we? We're not called just to focus here. I actually think that we don't do that bad a job on loving on Darlington, on our mission field in Darlington. I think we do a great job of bringing people in, of loving on them and caring for them. Um, now, we can always be better, and trust me, we always try and think of how we can reach more people for Jesus. But actually, in terms of further afield, I think that there's so much more for us there that God's calling us into. And actually, when we read through the book of Acts, I hope that this is going to be a real challenge for me and for you and for us as a church. Because as we read through the book of Acts, what we quickly realize is that actually sending people out on mission, supporting them financially, supporting other churches financially, helping them with our resources, praying for them constantly, those aren't an optional extra for us as a church. That's actually fruit of a healthy church. And that's what we're going to see as we read through the early church, that that is something that just becomes part of the DNA of the church, that it's so much more than just thinking about how do we build King's Church, this one here, but rather how do we see God's kingdom expand across the whole earth. We understand that Jesus' message is not just for English people or, you know, Scottish people or just here in Britain. Actually, it's for the whole earth. How do we, how do we come to have a heart for that? So I'm going to finish just by just sharing a couple of things with you that I just want you want to reflect on. The first thing is I'm going to show you a slide of a guy called Linus Das. Um, Linus <laughs> has become my friend over the last few months. Um, he leads a church of probably about 150 people in India, Pune, India. Um, and actually, Diraj, sorry, Louise, I won't embarrass you, but Diraj, you stand up for me real quick. Diraj, who's been part of our family here for decades now, you can sit back down, sorry, but Diraj, it's actually Diraj's brother-in-law. He leads a church out in Pune in India. Um, and I was introduced to him really just off the back of, you know, we want, we want to make sure that we're supporting who we can as a church. And Linus is a church leader who certainly felt isolated and at times alone in what he was doing and no support network. So I just video call with him uh, to pray with him, and we just chat um, and with Diraj as well. And, and let me show you the next picture. This, this is the church. Um, it looks a bit different to ours, doesn't it? But this is the church. Let me tell you, beautiful, incredible people. Let me tell you, these people really feel that God has called them to build an orphanage in Pune, um, to care and love for people, to be a witness for Jesus there. And people in the church are selling their possessions and willing to sell their property in order to build that orphanage to reach the poor and the needy and to be ministers of Christ in Pune. And you hear these stories and you think, wow. And yet they want support, they want help. They want just someone to pray with them. They haven't asked for anything else, so just prayer and support. And you can take those off now. And let me say, we're going to have a prayer meeting at the end of this month on the 31st of January. I believe that's right. I should check my notes. 31st of January, where we're going to be praying for some of these projects that we're involved with. There's an orphanage in Cambodia. There's an incredible project called Soul Hope in Uganda. 
I wish I could tell you about all these, but I'm gonna, you're going to hear about them on that Monday night. We're going to have a prayer meeting. Um, there are so many other things. We're going to be praying for this church in Pune, in India, and there's other things we're going to be praying about too. Please come and pray with us. Come and pray. And, it, you know, you might not be called to go out and be part of these churches or to go and plant churches out there, but actually we can pray and we can support them from here. We want to be an evangelistic community, don't we? To share our story constantly of what Jesus has done, to be witnesses for him. The disciples were willing to do that, and many of them would die for sticking to their witness, to their eye account of what had happened. Like I said, though, we're called uh, to, to have eyes for Darlington, to be witnesses in Darlington, but to much further afield as well, to raise our eyes to the horizon and think, who else needs to know about the good news of Jesus? We believe that we have good news for the bound, for those in addiction, those who are lonely, those who are in chains, those who are depressed. They need to hear the good news of Jesus. They need to hear that there is hope. There is healing. And we want to respond in the right way. So we're going to respond. Steve, I'm going to invite you back up. Um, Phil. We're going to respond and I'm going to ask, we're going to ask God to come and speak to us through the power of his spirit. So I'm going to invite you all to stand. The band are just going to start playing, but don't let that distract you. But just stand where you are. Jesus, we thank you that you were here on earth, physically present. God, you came down to rescue us, to bring salvation and healing and restoration. And you wiped away all sin and shame and you gave us the assurance of eternity with you. But Lord, when you left, when you ascended to heaven, that wasn't the end of the story because your power descended and came to be among all believers. We all became the temple of your spirit. Every single believer, we have your power within us. So let the response of our hearts be, come now, Holy Spirit. that I might, might be your witness. And where I can, I enable others to be witnesses for you throughout this world. <laughs>